Taste and see that the Lord is good. We have been over the last uh, number of months in the Sermon on the Mount, and we broke away from that for three Sundays to look at John's gospel and uh, the text leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so today we are, are back in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you remember the overarching theme as Jesus is teaching is righteousness and his righteousness as we taste and see that the Lord is, is good. So in the earlier sections in this particular uh, section of the scripture that we've been studying, Jesus warned against the hypocrisy in giving and, and he called us to give, but give concerning and as we give, to give to the glory of God instead of to men. And then he warned us against the hypocrisy of praying and how we prayed, and he called us to be faithful in our prayer to the glory of God and not to men. And then he went on to give us an example and a sincere example of, of how to pray and how to use this prayer that he has given us again for the glory of God. So the, the passage today as we continue is a passage that warns us against the hypocrisy in fasting and calls us again to be faithful in our glory to God rather than men, how to practice our righteousness through fasting. Sadly, though, um, this is a passage that most Christians leave out. Uh, it's almost as if you took a pair of scissors and just cut verse 16, 17, and 18 out of your Bibles. It's very seldom preached on by most pastors most churches, and I will say that most Christians stress more on prayer and giving than they do on fasting. Now, I told my wife at this point, after the first paragraph, uh, most of you will tune out and start thinking about something else because you have no desire to hear a sermon on fasting. But I beg you not to do that. I beg you to at least listen to what the scripture says, what God has given. It's in his word, and so it's got to be important or he wouldn't have put it in there. And I think we're going to see why. So let's listen. Barner said, Barner Institute in California who does church studies, he said, do you realize that though the Bible and churches encourage fasting that Non-Christian religions fast twice as often as Christians. Think about that. Non-Christian religions fast twice more as much as Christians. And I would say over the years, and it's 31 and counting now in, as a pastor, that 
at least from my experience, that's probably right. Very few Christians fast. And so this morning, I want us to think about this passage in three different ways. Jesus uh, is going to assume that we will fast, and we will see that. And then he warns us against hypocritical fasting. And then he challenges us to heart-filled and heartfelt fasting. So let's look at the text first, and then we'll jump in and see where we go. It's chapter 6 in Matthew's Gospel. It's the Sermon on the Mount, this middle chapter, and verses 16 through 18. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they may be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but that your Father who is in, in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate all of our hearts to see what you would hold for us through this, your holy word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So the first thing that I want to say to you that is fasting by definition through Scripture is not eating, not having a meal or forsaking eating. Now, there are those that you will hear talk about fasting uh, in many different ways. I give up TV, or I give up sports, or I give up this, or I give up that. And in place of that, I'm going to read and meditate on God's Word. And that is great. That is a great spiritual discipline if you want to do that. If you want to not eat a meal, and, or uh, not, not the meal, but if you want to do something other than not eating a meal and call it fasting, you can do that and meditate on God. But biblical fasting is not eating. It's very clear through Scripture and in the early church of what fasting was. Now, having said that, and you having that definition of what fasting is, I want us to, there's three points in the sermon and some sub-points, and the first one is Jesus assumes that we will fast. Verse 16a, whenever you fast... Whenever, and if you were to go to verse 17, Jesus says again, when you fast. Those two words in the Greek mean as often or every time. And so Jesus is saying, I expect that you're going to fast. I expect that you're going to fast. So... Jesus was asked that question by John's disciples. And so in Matthew 9, verse 14 and 15, listen to what Jesus says. Then the disciples of John, this is John the Baptist, came to him asking, Why? 
do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And then they will fast. Jesus expected, he did not, the disciples, his disciples did not need to fast as long as he was with them, but he expected them to have an act of fasting after he ascended to heaven. The Bible clearly shows that we are to fast. You would say, but, but wait a minute, that was about Jesus' disciples after the ascension. If we go to Acts chapter 13, this account begins the first missionary journey, and we see the early church of how the early church is, is fasting and praying, and listen to the first three verses of Acts 13. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simon, who was called Niger, and Lysias of Cyrene and Manson, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them out. Clearly, fasting was part of the early church. Fasting was a spiritual discipline that the early church had as a part of their, their, lively, or their life as they followed Christ. Why is it important, do you think, maybe that God instituted not only prayer, but fasting? And, and you see those two going hand in hand. As we fast, we are to meditate and to pray. Meditate on God's word and to pray. So what are some reasons that we would fast? I want to give you seven. I thought that was a pretty good number. It seems to be a, a perfect number in God's eyes, but it's not, this is not an exhaustive list. Uh, you certainly could come up with some other reasons to fast. First, fasting is appropriate when mourning over some pain or loss. Jesus' disciples prayed and fasted um, after the crucifixion and his resurrection. It became, as I said, a part of the early church. And as they were being persecuted, they would fast and they would pray. So suffering and pain and loss is a reason to fast. Fasting is appropriate when mourning over sin. Look at Ezra 10, Nehemiah 9. To surrender ourselves to God, to confess and repent is a must. And, and fasting helps us as we mourn over the sin that we commit. Third, fasting is appropriate means for seeking to conquer sin and temptation. 
Read Isaiah 58. Through prayer and fasting, we seek to break the chains of temptation, that those chains that Satan tries to bind us with as we pray and fast to free us from the oppression of temptation. Fasting is appropriate when seeking God's counsel in a situation. David, as you remember, his first son was ill with Bathsheba. We know the reasons. Most of us know the reasons why for that. And, and David prayed and fasted because of the situation that he found himself in. Nehemiah prayed and fasted for the sins of Israel. Ezra or uh, Esther uh, sent a reply to Mordecai to go and assemble the Jews and said, pray and fast on my behalf. And, and Esther didn't stop there. She said, don't eat, don't drink for three days and nights. And me and my females will also fast, seeking, the God, seeking God's direction in this situation. And so there certainly are reasons to fast when we find ourselves in those situations. The next, fasting is appropriate when seeking wisdom and direction from God. Daniel 9, Daniel 10, Daniel fasted, and he sought God's revelation. He sought God's direction, his wisdom in what was next. Moses also fasted for direction. Paul and Barnabas fasted for direction and wisdom as God was leading them. Six, fasting is appropriate when preparing for ministry or tasks that God is calling us to. We saw that in Acts 13 as Paul and Barnabas were set aside for ministry and they prayed and they fasted and laid hands on them for ministry. But even as God calls you to a task, if God has called you for a, sp uh, a specific purpose for his will, to lead a ministry, to be a part of a ministry, to go and share the gospel with someone, you may want to fast so that you have uh, and understand what God is preparing you for, this task to go out for him, by him. And then the seventh one, fasting is appropriate in helping us extend mercy to others. There are times that our hearts grow hard and grow weary towards others. It certainly can be because of how we are treated or a situation that happens, and our hearts grow hard towards that person or maybe those individuals or a group of people. And through prayer and fasting over that situation, over those individuals or maybe that group, God softens our hearts. As we are in tune in fasting, God gives us mercy and grace to in tune offer to them. Now, as I said, this is not an exhaustive list. It's just a food for thought, no pun intended. And if you didn't get that, when you're eating lunch today, it, it'll come again. 
So, so based on scripture, based on what we know uh, 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 that Jesus is saying in this sermon on fasting, we know that it is a part of the church. It's a part of the Christian life. So the question would be, why do we not fast? Why is it not a part of who we are, our Christian lives? You would think maybe fasting would be an ordinary practice as praying and giving, but it doesn't seem to be. In practicing our righteousness toward God, in, in practicing our, our life as God has called us to, and when I say practicing, I mean actually living that out as God calls us into righteousness, fasting, Jesus says, is to be a part of that. However, Jesus cautions us, if we're going to be a part of this spiritual discipline, if it's going to be a part of our life, there is a way to do it. There's a proper way and a way that is not proper. And he actually starts with the improper way to fast or the hypocritical way. He warns us against hypocritical fasting. And interestingly enough, these next two points as far as hypocritical fasting and true fasting, what is true fasting? Jesus uses the, the, the same mantra to, to introduce and, and give this. And, and one is a goal and one is a reward. And so the goal of hypocritical fasting, he says, you put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, and they neglect their appearance so that they can be noticed by men or people as they are fasting. The hypocrites go around looking just awful. They, they just look awful because they want to be noticed through the fasting. Jesus said this sad countenance or this disfigured face is a part of who they are as they practice their fasting. Now, interestingly enough, there is a Greek word here that Jesus uses, is uh, alpha phasno, and, and it, it's defined by the, uh, the, the Greek New Testament this way, and it's interesting to hear what this word means in the Greek because I think it gives understanding of what Jesus was saying. And when you think about those that were standing in front of him or sitting on the side of the mountain listening to him and his own disciples, they would have understood this word and what the definition of this word was. And so the definition is to render invisible or unrecognizable. It's for one to disfigure his face with ashes or, or leave his hair or beard unattended or color his face to look pale as someone would look at them. So Jesus is using this as saying, hey, don't do as the hypocrites do who you know, have a gloomy face and they would have understood it as all of this. Instead of trying to look sad or saddened so that people can notice what you're doing, Jesus says, that is not the way to fast. In the early church, they took 
such passages as they would hear or uh, this recanted, uh, these words of Jesus shared, it, they would have taken it to heart, and we know that because the Didache says so. Um, the, the Didache was a, uh, the Lord's teaching through the disciples, uh, the apostolic fathers of the first and into the second century, and um, it taught on uh, fasting and praying and communion and baptism. And, and so in the Didache, it says, do not let your fast coincide with those of the hypocrites. They fast on Mondays and on Thursdays. So what you do, you fast on Wednesday and Friday. In other words, they didn't even want the implication that you would fast the same day as those that were hypocritical in their fasting alongside of them. And so they actually chose another day to have their fast because those that were hypocrites and trying to be seen by men, they fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. And so Jesus gives us this understanding, but he also gives us an understanding of the reward of hypocritical fasting. Jesus says, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. It is again understanding the wording here because it's different than the wording when it comes to those who are rightly, truly fasting the right way. The word here in the Greek, instead of being a to receive, uh, to have it come to you. Here, this word is seldom used, but Jesus uses it, and it means that you've gotten everything right now. In other words, if you fast, your whole war reward is now. It's complete. You've gotten it in full. There's nothing else to come. And, and so Jesus is being very clear that this type of fasting is not the right way of fasting. Avoid this, Jesus would say. And that brings us to the last point, and that is that Jesus challenges us to heartfelt fasting. Again, there are goals and rewards and first, Jesus says, don't do like the hypocrites, but what, what you do now is, in verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. True fasting. The goal of true fasting is to point us towards God. In fact, these two things we need to understand what he is saying. To anoint your head was, was to put on a smile. It was to have your countenance upright, uh, up towards Jesus, to have uh, everything normal in how you would go about your daily life. People would look at you and not know that you are fasting because you had your everyday face on, that you had anointed, that you had washed. Every day you would get up and wash your face. Jesus says, wash your face, anoint your head, and do so so that the men, the women that you come encounter with, 
They don't even have a clue that you would be fasting. Your Father knows in heaven, but no one else would know. Now, if you are fasting and you haven't told anyone and you're going about your daily routine and everything is normal except for the fact that you are fasting, you are leaving a meal or a set of meals out to concentrate on your prayer and meditation with God, your communication with God. If somebody sees you doing that and questions you, you haven't sinned. You haven't sinned. Being seen fasting and fasting to be seen is two different things. And, and so when we are fasting and someone may see us, that's an external event. Fasting to be seen is a self-exalting motive of the heart. And God is telling us, Jesus is telling us here, that this needs to be a motive of the heart. It is not so that others can see you or others know, oh, by the way, I'm going to fast this Wednesday. No. That's, Jesus is saying, don't do that. Just connect, fast, connect with God so that you have this upward trajectory in your worship, in your fasting, not horizontal. So the goal of true fasting is that we are pleasing God, not pleasing others by our fasting so that others may see us fasting. And so the, the Pharisees and, and many of the religious leaders of the time had, had forgotten clearly forgotten what it meant to fast and they wanted to be seen by others and Jesus says stop that just do it in secret and let your father in heaven see that and then in verse 18 he reminds us why he says because the reward of true fasting he says your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you and if you read this in the Greek, this is going to be this future understanding of the rewards that we receive. If you remember in the fifth chapter of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And then as we get into scripture that follows this particular section, Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures in heaven where the moss and the rust will destroy, the thieves will break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And so Jesus is reminding us that and as we've looked at treasures before and rewards before, we have seen that this is something that we're going to receive. Can we receive pleasure, um, um, you know, just being lifted up as we fast now? Yes, there is a part of us, because we are communing with God, because we have set something aside for God's purpose so that we can commune with God, 
Yes, we are filled, we are renourished, we are refreshed. And so in some ways there is a reward here, but Jesus is saying, great is your reward in heaven when you follow what my son has said for you to do. John Piper, and many of you know um, Piper and, and his church and sermons and all, but Piper is, has said this about this particular passage, and I think he has nailed it. I think you will agree. And I quote, What Jesus does here is test the reality of God in our lives. Oh, how easy it is to do religious things if other people are watching, preaching, praying, attending church, reading the Bible, acts of kindness, acts of charity, etc. The reason for this is not only the commendation that we might get, but more subtly, the sense that the real effectiveness of our spiritual act is on the horizontal axis among people, not the vertical axis with God. If a kid sees me pray at a meal, it will do good, right? If the staff sees me fast, they may be inspired to fast. If my roommate sees me read the Bible, they may be inspired to read. In other words, we feel that the value of our devotion is the horizontal effect it has on others as they see us. Piper goes on to say, now that's not at all, all bad. But the danger is that all of our life starts to justify and understood, be understood simply on the horizontal level for its effects that it can have because others see it happening. And so God can become a secondary person in the living of our lives. We think that he is important because all of these things are the kinds of things that he wants us to do. But he himself is falling out of the picture as we focus on all the other things in our life. End quote. I believe he has it right. Church, hear me. This kind of thing that Jesus wants us to do in, in our giving, in, in our praying, in our fasting. He wants it to be about him, not about us. He wants it to be about him, not that others are going to look and lift us up and praise us for our spiritual acts. He wants us to forget the hypocrisy, to forget it and forget the selfish desire that Satan would have on us. Oh, if you do this, others can see you and will lift you up and praise you for what you're doing for God. When in essence, God is saying, do it for me. Point to me. Focus on me. Not about you. 
And I hope in, in some way today, just a little bit of what is said and has been said and what the scripture reminds us of is that we would pray about, think about, is fasting important in my spiritual disciplines? Is it important in my walk with God? Is there something that would uh, help me in connecting with God through fasting? If we are not fasting, I would tell you to start slowly. In other words, biblical fasting, again, is leaving a meal out. Start with one meal. Just fast for a lunch or a dinner or a breakfast and spend that time in the Word and in praying and listening to what God may have in store for you. In the times that I have practiced fasting, I will tell you it is, it is rewarding, but it's a reward that in how and how uh, and what I am um, feeling by God infusion into me through his spirit as I give him that time, as I give him praise, as I meditate on his word. I would encourage you to pray about the practice of fasting as a part of your life in some way. Because practicing righteousness through fasting is a great way for each of us to pursue, pursue God the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this, your word, and Jesus included this in his sermon uh, because it's important. And often we do not think about fasting as a part of our spiritual life. I pray, Father, maybe this text or something from the preaching um, would impress on each of us, including me, Father, that this is something that's important and something that God has put into his word for us. It benefits us that we might have this vertical connection with him. So, Father, through prayer and fasting, may we draw closer to you. And, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would impress upon us that desire and need. We pray this in your holy name.